Welcome to the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast, where your hosts, Dr. Peter Bolden and Dr. Craig Spodak, help you go next level with your practice, leveraging the four pillars that make a practice bulletproof. Vision, building a dream team, marketing ninja, and financial freedom. Now, let's get into it. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast. Tonight, and I say tonight, you see how dark it is out in Georgia here tonight? You've got the same going on, Trevor, because you're Georgia. We have Trevor Marr, and he's the president and CEO of Smile Source. I've known Trevor for probably going on about six years, um, ever since the Academy of Comprehensive Aesthetics kind of morphed into, is morphed a good word, Trevor? Morphed into kind of the Smile Source? I won't object. For, of, for the, uh, the meeting component of it. But um, we were kind of talking offline, Trevor, about, you know, really exactly what Smile Source does. And um, Craig asked, is it like a DSO? And you said, no, it's really, you know, there's no ownership of the practices. It's more an affiliation through um, just through economies of scale discounts and masterminding and stuff like that. So it's a, it's a cool group of guys. I actually know a lot of, a lot of the, the, guy, the guys and gals that are in, they're in Smile Source and it's a, you guys have a good reputation in the industry. Cool. But tonight, so Trevor, welcome, welcome to the show, pal. Thanks for having me. Good yeah, to man. see you. Any, anything I need to miss on the uh, on the intro there? I know you're I know you're Canadian, so I won't I won't really hold that against you or bring that up. Um, he's always talking about soccer. He, I mean, soccer, hockey. He's in the dang. Yeah. He's in the wrong. Uh, he's, he's talking about hockey in the state of Georgia. And I'm like, dude, no one watches hockey here. Our, our hockey team can't even survive here. No, oh for two. We've left twice. Two teams have left. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, anyway, anything, anything you want to add to your, your, your glorious intro? No, that was great. Thank you. Okay, bud. So tonight what we're going to talk about is something that, that Trevor's got a lot of research on. And, and as you all know, as listeners of the podcast, we do not like to bring people on for like glorified pamphlets kind of promoting their own company. But what we do like is kind of extracting the value of a lot of the, the data that's been maybe collaborated from that. If that makes any sense. So tonight we're going to really talk about um, branding and, and does that matter? And I asked Trevor before we were online, and I said, are we talking about the practice name? And, and you said, yeah, that's one component of it, but there's other kind of branding things like the practice name, also things like Invisalign and, and, and stuff like that. So I have never heard a podcast or really talk that's as niched as that. Like, how do you choose a name? But honestly, as an entrepreneur or a dental entrepreneur, I kind of struggle with that when I look at even just acquisitions. I look at something, I'm like, hmm, well, I would, I would rebrand that to, you know, you know, XYZ City Dental or whatever. So I'm interested to hear what your, what your research has concluded on this so that it can be just not me from a gut perspective thinking what, what to name a practice. Let's just say there's an acquisition in my future. Sure. But, but what's the data that supports that, you know, what monetizes that the best or from a consumer standpoint? So, Craig, are you, yeah. are you on with us? Okay. I'm, I'm, I actually am in Florida, and although it is dark out, I have lights, so I've turned them on. So that's what I'm going to Yeah, but, but. You know, I'm just saying that, you know, I know that you're going through a thunderstorm and the lights are not. It looks, it looks bad. If I turn all these lights on, the camera does something all funky. So, you know, right. I want to I stay as handsome you as look, possible. Yeah, you look better in dark. In dark I do. I have a face for radio. Right. No, I'm <laughs> excited to hear this. I'm excited, Trevor, because obviously, you know, Peter and I have very different um, models and also different brands. Atlanta Dental Spawn, Spodak Dental Group. So very appropriate to uh, have this conversation so we can highlight the differences between our two models. 
in that regard. Sure. Happy to talk about it. Yeah. Want me to just, just roll in there? You can hit roll into it, man. Give oh. it, lay it on us. Lay it so on. As you said, and this is the non-commercial part. Um, as you said, I'm with SmileSource. And so SmileSource is, is a great dental name, but anybody that thinks they have to change their name to SmileSource to be a part of our network, that's not true. You, you don't have to change your name. In fact, you don't have to do anything because if we start telling you what to do, that's fee splitting. Mm-hmm. So we're very, very independent. Private practice is alive and well. Uh, we don't own the practice. So when we look at how to brand, right, we look at Dr. John Smith, dentist, right? So we, we ran some testing on who would you seek information from? Because we talked about patients are consumers before their patients, right? They're shopping and mm-hmm. they haven't even chose to spend a dental dollar yet. They've chosen to spend a dollar and you hope it's on dentistry. And then when they choose dentistry, you hope it's you as the dentist. They're, you're looking for share of wallet and then share of dentistry once that share of wallet is focused on dentistry. So Dr. John Smith, 15% of these consumers would seek information from that uh, brand logo and doctor name. So if you think about how it all looks, right, there's, there's the branding, the logo, and the affiliated name. Can I, can I pause you for a second? Sure. I want to get the context a little bit better. So here I am searching. I'm Mrs. Jones sitting here searching. I'm pulling it up, and here come all the dentists on my Google search report, dentists near me. So you're saying that Dr. John Smith, DDS, would only get clicked on, would only have preferential seeking information 15% of the time? So if you have four logos up, so this is not a Google rank search. This is just four logos side by side, right? With brand logo and doctor name. Four logos side by side. Okay. Yeah. Brand logo, doctor name. Got it. So we're not, we're not getting into Google analytics tonight. Okay. All right. Do that later. Well, I just wanted to clarify. No, it's good. Some of the listeners might've thought we we're going there. So Dr. John Smith is, is 15%, right? That's, that's pretty low, but it's also pretty boring. Mm-hmm. Right? Dr. Peter Bolden, of course, and Dr. Craig Spodak are much. It's more way more exciting. But doctor named Dennis, kind of blah. Okay. Uh, believe it or not, so Monarch Dental. So pick any, pick any, um, Yikes. any large name. Monarch, Monarch Dental. Dr. Peter Bolden has a 22% preference. Oh, so with the affiliation and, okay, and the corporate, the, it goes up a little bit. The consumers think that there's a little more behind it. Maybe there's more training. Maybe there's more support. Maybe there's mm. extended payment terms, better deal, whatever it is. Okay. They like that better. All right. Um, and then... Dr. John Smith, a member of ABC Associates, is even higher at 27%. Because again, he's part of a larger group, but it doesn't have the corporate stigma. Okay. So you get the independent, you've got tied to corporate, the independent tied to an association. And then SmileSource was tested specifically, and we had a 37% preference. SmileSource, they like the catchy brand name, but SmileSource, um, a member of Dr. Peter Bolden. Uh-huh. John Smith. So in that case, it's just that SmileSource maybe had a better ring than Monarch Dental, but they're providing the same comfort to a consumer that there's, there's something else behind this doctor. Yeah, but why? Because you're not a household name. No, not at all. Right. Not so all. like, why does it matter? It, it, I mean, you just may have gotten lucky with like, oh, we picked SmileSource. It's kind of catchy. It has two S's and like, it looks good on paper. Like, well, how is that? How is that? I'm not trying to bust your chops, but no, like, how is that? How, how does that, you know, hold more clout than, than anything else? If, if, meaning if, if neither one of them are known as a household name, why does it matter? Two answers. One okay. is sometimes it's better to be lucky than good, so I'll take it. <laughs> All right. Right? Um, but in terms of what, what the association is, right, it's, it's backed by something else. So the monarch okay. and the smile examples, even the affiliated group backed by something else. 
the the clear winner is any affiliation above Dr. John Smith dentist. Okay. All right. So that's one set of data. So, but you're comparing that against Dr. John Smith as being the, the, the branding name, right? Right. 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 So how does that compare though? Now, how does smile source or something go up against when you have, um, like the city modifier, let's call it, uh, you know, Chattanooga Smiles or something like that. Or, or Atlanta Dental Spa. I mean, or Spodak yeah. Dental Group. <laughs> so sport, in that case, Spodak Dental Group would have more appeal because you immediately recognize its group. There's uh, more than Craig. Yeah, Trevor's just saying that to be nice. Club. You know, we get him no, up. He's not. Like, nah. No, no I not. mean, I, I don't ever want to, want to say anything nice about Peter, though. I mean, Love a guy. I mean, Trevor keeps it real. That's what I kind of like him. So no, he's not, he's, he's not. So anything with a group. Okay. So Trevor, if you were, if you were a dentist starting out, let's just say you were about to get out of school, hang your shingle. How would you, what would be your, um, I can't wait to use this word, Craig. What would be your active nomenclature? Oh, look at that. Well, it's not one of your core words, Peter. Yes, it is. It's not perpetuity. It's not perpetuity or uh, scale or, uh, yeah. I think that's word of the day. Do you get the word of the day email, Peter? I have, I have, no, but I have a very small, I have five words that I, that I just deploy and everyone think like, "Mm." my wife is like, why do you use those big words? I'm like, I use five that that's about it. It's about it. And Craig, Craig and my wife were busting on me this weekend, literally together. Um, uh, what so was back it, to your what, question. Yeah, I back have, to my question. Thank you. You, you graduate. You're going to hang your shingle. Basically, how would you pick your, I think, nomenclature was your word. Yes. But, but so actually, you, you made a lot of bold, assumptive statements there because if you talk, look at a graduate, first of all, less than 10% of grads want to get out and own a practice. You mean current grads? Current grads. When they're millennial exit, grads? Millennial grads. When they exit, less than 10% want to practice. Now, that number, that number escalates. Once Has that changed, them. Trevor, over the years? Absolutely. God, yeah. Are you kidding me? I mean, hey, I'm just – look, I'm a scientist. I want the data. I'm a scientist, guys. Come on. You don't need, the, you know, it, you don't need, da- you don't need data on a lot of the – I mean, it's incredible. Okay. So no one wants to own anymore. Only 10%. Trevor, we, I interrupted graduates. you. Graduates. Of graduates. Got it. Now, now they go out there, and the turnover in corporate dentistry is, is you know, 30%. So every three years, they're moving on. Could be to another corporate gig, but the likelihood of them to get into independent so- – so the likelihood of them staying past three years is, is less than 30%? 30% is a turnover, yeah. Your 30% is, is in corporate for three years. Okay. And then they go do what? Something else. Could be other corporate or private practice, but the less than 10% want to get into private practice at graduation. Okay. It, it goes up significantly because there's still the majority of the market is private practice, right? There's okay. No All right. So let me reframe my question. All right. So now I'm a, now I'm a, I'm a dentist. I'm a three-year out dentist. I've done my corporate and I want to go out and name a practice and I don't want to make mistakes. I want right. there to be, I want this to be laser focused marketing with all the data and I'm going to name it and I don't care what I name it. Go. I want your name on it somewhere. Like the last name? I want the doctor's name somewhere on it. Okay. That's ringing alarms for me, buddy, but go ahead. Sub brand, but I want them to be affiliated with something perceptibly larger. Of course you do. Avondale Dental Group, right? Atlanta Dental Spa. Okay. Spas. Okay. Spas. All right. So, all right. I'm going to pause you right there for a second. Sure. So I understand that you get, you guys are kind of an affiliation group, but like, let's say you're, 
one of my favorite books is called Built to Sell. Okay. And if you haven't read the book, it's, it's not, you're literally not building the practice to sell, but when you build it to sell with systems and kind of beginning with the end in mind, it just runs a little bit better. So then you have a happier business that you really don't want to sell. You have to read the book. But anyway, yeah, the, the subtitle it, of the book is uh, Built to Sell, Creating business, Businesses That Can Thrive Without You. Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. Shut up, Greg. But I'm just uh, saying, no, but I'm just saying like, that's what, that's, that's the book. That's, that's uh, great. So my point is with, with that is that if you're looking at one day, either onboarding a partner or selling your practice and walking away, then having your last name associated with no one, the new buyer or new partner doesn't want to get into that mess of like, well, why would I buy the, 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 you know, last name slash whatever group. That makes sense, Trevor. You're looking so I want to make sure I was clear that the doctor's name is a sub brand. I don't know what a sub brand is. He's, so, he means like Monarch, you know, Dr. Peter Bolden of Monarch Dental. So it's, yeah, Monarch Dental, Dr. Peter Bolden. Monarch okay. Dental, right? So that's the sub piece. There still is a relationship in private practice dentistry. I'm talking private practice dentistry. Yep. There's, there's, there's still a relationship with the doctor and the hygiene staff and the team right? That's really, really important. So I, I wouldn't suggest, although a lot of people do it successfully to just brand ABC dental company. Okay. You would not suggest that. I wouldn't suggest that. And all of our research, it favors a sub brand doctor name, hmm. a community tie. But what if it's more than one doctor? Like what if it's a group practice? So you're saying you could still have, right? Like I think, I, we're, I, being, I think we're being very, um, I, I don't, I think the way we started this question was, I, I, I'm hearing in your mind, Trevor, that it's, this is a typical one or two doctor practice. Is that what we're talking about? Or you even yeah. talking about? Yeah, you're right. You did say That's that. That's what I'm talking about. Oh, I did say that. Yeah. So, so let's just take that because we under, I'm understanding that like some, you know, community based name, you know, Atlanta dental, you know, spa, and then Dr. Peter Bolden, that would be the highest ranking affinity according to what you're saying, right? Something local and something global. Uh, non-doctor affiliated, but then having the doctors a sub-brand. But then just jump into what Peter and I have, multi-location and or multi-doctor. How do you feel about that? Then I don't think the doctor's name should be anywhere on it. I don't have that research, just my knowledge of dentistry. I'd say you, you, you're going to talk yourself out of some buyers if you're yeah. too important in the name. So the reason I'm, I, I like the city and the name, Trevor, and maybe you have some, some web research to kind of confirm or deny, but a long time ago from the era, you know, 2000, circa 2005, when, when, when you used to be able to kind of gamify the search engines a little bit, it was always, the, the, Google was not as sophisticated as it is now. So it didn't know kind of what you were wanting. And so it was always a city modifier. So it'd be Atlanta slash veneer, you know, Atlanta veneers, Atlanta, this line, Atlanta, and it was always the city modifier. And so if you had something in your domain name that had your city modifier, it was a lot of, um, it was a lot of bonus points towards the algorithm back in the day. So maybe I'm just still stuck in old school of like, you need the city in which you kind of practice from an SEO perspective. And I know we're going off tangent, but, but I still think it's important from a branding perspective. Do you have anything to add to that? Confirmed or deny? I Sounds don't confirm or deny using a city name. You know, I, I don't think that uh, I have the expertise to tell you what Google's going to say about the city name in your name. No, I know that. But like, I'm trying, I'm, I guess I'm trying to kind of merge data plus real life, you know, SEO and all this stuff. So, you know, sure. it's, it's tough. 
So in conclusion, it's pretty hard to, to name a practice effectively from the beginning to the end. This just don't name it John's Dr. John Smith. All right. All right. Good. All so we got that. Would be the big takeaway. Good. Um, Do you want to talk a little more about branding with products? Well, I mean, only if it's going to benefit, like, I don't really care about Invisalign. I don't really care about, you mean, if it's going to benefit the, the, the practice or the practices, then sure. We'll tell you what, cut this out if you don't find it interesting. So I spent a lot of time in the contact lens business. And one of the products that we sold against was um, this Vistacon contact lens from Johnson & Johnson. Mm-hmm. And the fascinating point of that was that when a patient asks for a brand by name, the doctor gave it to them 87% of the time, mm-hmm. right? So now make the connection to Invisalign. Yep. If you ask for Invisalign by name, I think also that 87% of doctors would say, yeah, sure, because you asked for it by name. Well, if you're a provider, I, I'm going to push back on that too. Sorry, because this is what I do. So it, what if, let's, say, let's say I come into your office and I'm like, hey, doc, I want Invisalign. Well, I'm going to say, but I'm only a clear connect provider. I'm going to say, cool. Well, we do that, but it's called a different brand. I think, I think this, this example, sorry to cut you, Peter, Invisalign's hard because it's that, that's like automatopoeia. It's like Kleenex, but like Lumineers, let's go to the Lumineers. Like we didn't, you, you, I guarantee you, Peter, you never did Lumineers, right? Never, never. But I love, but I marketed, marketed it. Right. So let's go with the Lumineer conversation because Clear Correct doesn't have, at least at this point, as we're recording, does not have the ability to compete with Invisalign right now. But but Lumineers was a perfect thing that you would have never done Lumineers. I wouldn't have either, but we both marketed for them. Well, it was just, you know, but Lumineers took a something that we've been doing in dentistry for 30 years, a no-prep veneer, and gave the Kleenex or the tissue the Kleenex or tried to give it the Kleenex name, right? right? And, but Invisalign was a new proprietary technology. So... That's why I didn't do Lumineers is because I knew I could deliver a superior product that we already had lots of data for that looked better that my ceramist had been doing for 20 years. Yep. So, and I, and I would see Lumineer stuff that I knew it was all being shipped overseas and, you know, it just wasn't good. So I agree with you, Craig, that the funnel, I think brands are great for dentistry, especially when they do them business to consumer, Right, because Invisalign, Invisalign said, "Hey, screw this. We're just going to go right to the consumer and have them demand it," which is smart. Which is probably what that Vistacon or whatever you just said did. Did the same thing. They probably ran ads to they generate the buzz. B to C. Approached the existing manufacturers. Nobody bought them, and then they went to consumer and said, "Screw you guys. We'll, we'll yeah. just the consumer the doctor and, use it." Invisalign, in my opinion, was the in my career has been the first one that's done that. They kind of bucked the trend of like instead of advertising to dentists to, to get them to use it, they just said, let's buck the system and go right from B to C, go B to C as opposed to B to B to D. Well, so what we've done organizationally, we, so we, we don't do any work corporately with Invisalign, right? They, they don't want to work with our group for mm-hmm. whatever reason they have. So we're a proponent of the clear crack. So the, the data point I told you, there's a second point that's important, right? So mm-hmm. with the contact lens example of Vistacon, 87% of consumers of doctors when asked for it, fit it that lens but only four percent of the time did they ask so a lot of times when they're coming in they don't really know what it is they want they know they want their teeth straightened right. they want a better smile and so i think i think the doctor is more armed than they believe to make the switch like you two did but look at you guys have monster practices right right you didn't cower when a patient said hey i want a luminary oh my god i better get it for you right you said hey i got something else Right. Okay. Fair. That's what I want the private practice doctor to do. I want them to do the right thing for the patient. 
and not to be bullied by a brand. Now, branding is great if it fits in with your practice style, but if it doesn't, you should be confident that you know what's right. Yeah. I mean, so it can be kind of synergistic in any which way, either with your, you right. know, someone who actually a practice that uses it or don't, it's just good for, it's good for awareness. I, I like I can your pr- answer. What you and Craig were saying is what, what you did in, in the case and not to bash Luminaire as far as I know, they're a great company. I don't know much about them, but um, you know, you guys were successful in your own way and that's, that's the power of the private practice. Well, Luminaires isn't a country company, is it? Isn't it yeah, just a brand? It's a proprietary well, brand of micro or prepless veneers from a specific lab. And they yeah. license that lab technology to other labs. So it's scale. Oh, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't have a dog in the fight. I don't care. I'm just saying, yeah, someone asked for it. I'm it's not, just, I don't. But it's the same way that, you know, Apple made the iPod. They weren't the first MP3 player. Um, right. But, but I, I do believe that, you know, it was savvy to market that, that Lumiere thing. I mean, I remember buying AdWords on Lumineers just to, to have that presence, even though. For I sure. But the big uh, switch for like Invisalign, because Invisalign's a little near and dear to my heart, because that's all I do. There's not at this point with the patents that are still out. I mean, I recognize that there are patents that are going to be eroding for Invisalign. But mm-hmm. as we speak today, there's really nothing yet that can compete with Invisalign. Um, and there's a lot of doctors out there, I think, to their disservice, are like, yeah, you don't really need Invisalign. We can do it this way or that way. Um, or they're telling patients flat out, this is Invisalign, and it's really not. So that's mm-hmm. why. I'm, that's bad news. I'm sorry? That's you, bad news, you said. Yeah, that is. And, and that's why Invisalign's going to such great lengths, including putting their logos on the actual Invisalign aligners. I've had several people say to me, like, Invisalign doesn't work. You know, I'm going to bring all my stuff in. I'll show you what I did. And it's not in this line at all. It's just something totally different. Um, so they, they recognize that that patent infringement or that I, IP infringement is a big, a big issue for them. Um, mm-hmm. But they can't control it. That's why Invisalign is doing their own scanning centers and their own call center. Because people were calling Invisalign and saying, hey, I want a doctor or go to the website. They were directing to them. And then they'd bait and switch them into braces or something else. And now Invisalign is actually calling your office together with, with the patient saying, hey, get Marianne for a consult and tracking your conversions, which is interesting. Did you know that, Trevor? I didn't know about the calling together, but obviously I knew about those centers and yeah. you know, Costco's and malls and whatnot. I don't think they're going in Costco's and malls as far as I know, but they are going to storefronts. There is an Invisalign storefront, I think, in the San Francisco area. But it's not going to be- I've seen a picture of a kiosk in a Costco where, you know, see if Invisalign's right for you, and then they direct you to a, to a doctor. No to a scanning. Wow. Yeah. It's so wild. Wow. Hey, everybody. It's Dr. Craig Spodak from the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast, and I am super fired up to talk to you guys about our summit happening October 12th and 13th at the beautiful St. Regis Hotel in Atlanta. This is the opportunity to learn everything we've accumulated over the last 20 years of dentistry and business management. We're leaving it all on the table. There's nothing to sign up for afterwards. This is just two days of intense learning and mastermind sessions. We strongly encourage you to bring someone in your office that's a stakeholder, not just an employee, but someone that's actually following you and treats your business as their own. Because if you come back from this thing all fired up and you don't have your first follower or someone to help implement, it's gonna be very difficult. So once again, October 12th and 13th at the beautiful St. Regis Hotel in Atlanta. Registration is filling up very, very quickly and the tickets are almost sold out. So go to Bulletproof dentalpractice.com 
forward slash summit and reserve your spot today. See you soon, people. So Trevor, you touched on something earlier. I want to, I want to pivot since you have a lot of um, corporate knowledge, you know, not that you're straight up a corporate, but um, you know that as we were hitting, before I hit record, we were talking about, you know, the prevalence of, of corporate dentistry coming in place. And I think it's, I right. think it's something that's really interesting. I, honestly, Craig, I don't think we can talk about it enough because everywhere we go, I mean, I just went to a, I just went to a summit that was literally just on corporate dentistry, you know, um, the dentist entrepreneur organization. So that, that was really focused around DSOs and a lot of corporate talk there. And so I think that's the, the biggest fear that's going on in the airwaves. Wouldn't, wouldn't you agree, Craig, Trevor? No, hundred percent. There's uh, <laughs> yeah. well that, that, and there's a lot of people that are not in fee for service dentistry that are very fearful of quote unquote dental insurance. Right. But, well, uh, yeah, I think it's a confluence of factors, but corporate kind of sums it all up. Corporate yeah. it adds the convenience. I mean, there's people that are worried about convenience and about HR and all that stuff, but corporate kind of encompasses all of it because it's that support. You know, it's the HR support, it's the vendor relationships, it's the negotiating of fees with PPOs. So that's the one kind of blanket complaint that wraps, I think, it all up pretty pretty well for most dentists. I think you're right, and I think it's. Uh... I think it's important for the dentist to know whether they're fresh out of school or the example earlier, three years out of school or they're 55 years old, right? Are they going to be a good employee? Because when you're an employee, you're an employee. You right. know what? You're, you're working Friday. Sorry. You didn't so what do you, what do you feel came first, the chicken or the egg? Meaning, so you talked about there only being 10% of dentists wanting to come out and have a private practice, but corporate dentistry, big corporate groups are also doing lunch and learns at dental schools, kind of singing the tunes of like, Hey, come with us. Here's a signing bonus, et cetera. So yes, I know there's a millennial thing. We, you know, we kind of made reference to that, but you think it's just this like perfect storm or is it, or there, or you think there's a lot of influence from, from top down? Well, I think the reason corporate is recruiting at schools is because they're not getting enough talented doctors at the price point they want in the open market. Okay. Right? So that's yep. why you go to a school. That's why you bring pizzas and kegs of beer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and also I think the timing is perfect for the valuations from, you could be private equity. It could be the Ontario teachers fund. It doesn't matter, but the valuations are great for dentistry because you can leverage the purchase based upon the future anticipated revenue, right? It's a, it's a cash rich business. Mm-hmm. So there's, so you can go out there and these, these big funds can pay nine, 10, 11, 12 times EBITDA and still make money on it. You know, someone's going to left, someone's going to not get a chair when the music stops at some point, yeah. there's an economic downturn, but it's, it's wonderful right now. There's all kinds of money that is pouring into dental practices you know, we're approached all the time at Smiles saying, hey, we've got this big group of practices. Why don't we start rolling them up and buying them? That's not our mantra. We're private practice independent. But, I mean, they're, they're knocking on every door, right? So I think that it is a little bit of the perfect storm. You've got, you've got money that's making a nice return, right? So you've got interested money. You've got a labor pool that is interested in the message because if only 10% of students want to own a practice – I don't think that's necessarily because of the messaging they're hearing in the schools, Peter. I think it's part of it, but also I think it is generational, right? I think you've got a generation shift in terms of wanting to hang a shingle and do it themselves or get a paycheck. A lot of these docs come out and say, Hey, I want to get two to two fifty my first year. Mm-hmm. So shit for that. Yeah. Yeah. 
There's no way. Um, and then also you've got a gender shift, yep. right? You've got and massive loan, massive you know loan amounts are, are two and three times from when I graduated. Which I mean, it's just crazy. Let's let's let's, t- let's not just leave it there though. Let's look at um, what it used to be to open up a dental practice ten years ago. What did you need? You could get by with a you know place to sit and a place to spit, as I say. And now it's, you need, you know, comb beam, you might need Serac, you need a scanner, there's a line. And then also let's look at work now. I mean, look at the amount of HR and employment change that have happened in the last like five years. It's dizzying. You need like an HR expert, you know, overtime changes, different regulatory changes. You do, but you don't need to sell your practice to get that expertise help. So well, I know, but these are, these are the confluence of factors that go into the, the decision. Right, but I think that's what, what he's about to say is that's where kind of like groups that are kind of helping the cottage industry like Smile Source, I think, is really helping, helping the little guy win. Is that kind of so, what? So let me, yeah, I actually want to take it a little, a little further because there are people that compare us to a buying group, and, and I think, Peter, you did it one time, right? Yeah, that, I think I just did not, it 10 minutes ago. Yeah, yeah. that's not where you're going to get your help, right? Um, for HR issues, right? You're, you're not going to have somebody supporting you there. You're not going to get your help there recruiting and staffing, right? And so when a group of docs work together on a franchise model, which is a scary word, but that's the model we use because then a lot of what we do is not collusion. Um, but when we can work together, you can work together in a non-owned format. So, so you can, if you want, you can work together in an owned format. So dentists can work together as employees or as affiliates, right? <laughs> and so we love the affiliate model because you still own it, but you can get the benefits of what you what some people seek in a in a group practice. So I don't and think you have to. I don't think you have to throw up your hands just because it's complex. Mm-hmm. Although Craig, it is really complex, and there's all kinds of stories about people that make accidental mistakes, and uh, are significantly penalized mm-hmm. for that. I think Craig and I, you know, we're, we're fans of, um, you know, we're fans of the cottage industry kind of situation and not that it has to stay the same way, but Craig being from, you know, he's a third generation dentist and, you know, it's kind of all I've ever done in my life. So I'm passionate about the, about the, the non-corporate aspects, even though we've kind of grown a little bit, it's still a non, you know, to me, it's not my business, not corporate dentistry by any, by any means. So I like anything that adds to the strength of the, the relationship based dentist practice, the cottage industry they talk about. I'm all, I'm, I'm all about. And I, and I seem to think that that's when I think of y'all, I think, I think of uh, you giving strength to the, to the, to the small guy. And I say small guy, I mean the, the, the guy who's not in corporate, a guy or gal who's not in corporate. I think, I think there's some point that deserves some attention here. As you're talking, Peter, I'm thinking to myself, there's, we have to have a different term like corporate. Everybody's a, you're a corporation. I'm a corporation. Dr. Jones that has mm-hmm. is a corporation. And I, although we're big fans of the cottage industry, we're, we have sincere concerns about the true cottage practitioner, mm-hmm. solo doctor trying to work 32 to 40 hours a week, bankers hours in a strip mall somewhere. So we're, you know, it's not just the smile sources coming to rescue. It's regional groups like ours as well. Whether you're a big footprint or a smaller footprint, we're actually, I wouldn't call us part of the cottage. You know, we're obviously we're, we're doing it for the benefit of the patient. You're right. We don't have demands on our, on our associates where, oh, you only produce two crowns today. You better produce six tomorrow. We don't have those types of conversations. 
we always want what's ethical and best for the practice uh, for the patients but corporate dso's are putting that downward pressure like you've got to sell you've got to do this and they're looking at micro profitability versus macro you and i don't mind buying something or hiring a new doc knowing that it might take six months or a year to get them on plane you know or up to par yeah corporate is like you got to make money like true corporate like dso venture capital back dso is like you need money this week borrow from next month's schedule to make this month profitable that's wall street and i, I just i think we're painting with broader brush yeah you're right it's a it's it, there, we compare with like these two buckets like oh you know and and you're right there's really a lot more buckets of comparison it's there not is. just the cottage industry versus like this venomous DSO, corporate PE, backed whatever group. Yeah, there's a, there's a couple other buckets there. And I wonder what's the, the majority of practitioners still in this country are the cottage practitioners, right, right. Trevor? I mean, the majority right. are solo, you know, open 30 hours a week, no weekend coverage, no expanded hours because they can't, you know, maybe two, three mm-hmm. chairs. I mean, the average dental practice, as T-Bone says, is what, like 600 grand or 650 in gross? Yeah, and it's and it's how many chairs? Isn't it like four, four chairs? Do you know, Trevor? Four, four yeah. chairs, four My chairs, six hundred grand. Associate and your average associate, Peter, outperforms the average dental practice in its entirety. But yours and my average associate will produce or collect more than the entire dental practice of the average dentist. So dentist and hygienist and you know, whatever. What does the average dentist have? 1.5 hygienists? I think you hit on something too powerful though. You're right. Is that the, the technology and the, and the convenience is really going to be the, the disruptor in that model of the single practitioner. Meaning that, will, that you, yeah. This uh, is the same way pr- pr- uh, practitioners are asking for Invisalign because of the awareness that was built. I mean, if Serona would have invested or even if Serona does, invest and i'm just using serona but i know there's lots of scanners you know you know if, if a scanning company a scanning milling company like sarac serona would invest the money that they like even one tenth the money that's invisalign has spent into the direct-to-consumer you'd have people you know flooding the marketplace asking for single visit crowns people want to save money it's just it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a well-kept secret this to, to get back to your point of trevor when patients ask doctors for specific brands the doctor feels compelled to do that that's what happened with Invisalign, but if Serona, like, I mean, Serial World, they, pro- they spend tons of money getting Will Smith on the stage, you know, going to the doctors like, hey, come to Serial World, it's going to be great. We're hiring Train or U2 to play on the stage. If they just put that That's money right. into like direct-to-consumer, my God, what would happen? Dennis would be frenetically calling the reps. Like, I had four people this week asking me for a single visit crown, and then I'm a dinosaur that I gave him a temporary. I mean, holy shit, that would be huge. But Craig, I mean, you know what you said that I think resonates as well? is you're starting to talk about the, you know, the 30, 32 hours a week. I think that that's a fundamental change that the private practitioner needs to make is they have to recognize as, you know, and I'll say it as Aspen Dental has, right. That most patients, a lot of patients want expanded hours. They, mm-hmm. they can't get off work. Well, especially the blue collar, right? Blue collar guys are not going to run out at lunch and go to the dental practice. And, you know, they want to go evenings or like weekends. Right. So that's hard to do alone. And just, just so you don't paint us with the $650,000 brush at smile, our average practice is 1.5 dentists. Right. So you want to say every two or three have a full associate. Um, and we're doing 1.2 million in collections. So you can do the math on the per dentist, but what I want you to take away is that for some reason, the practices that are more, more growth oriented 
tend to be more attracted to what we do mm-hmm. than, than the smaller practices that consider marketing and expense versus investment. That, that have stagnated. You know, there's, you know, there's stagnant practices. Like I'm good. You know, they're not, they're not in growth mode. They're kind of in defensive mode, if you will. Yeah, I think you're right. I think because there's a lot of people that, that, that until they get over that hump, they have a real um, sensitivity towards spending to get there. Right. Well, and then mm-hmm. you talk about technology, you talked about marketing. If, if, if you just sit there and all you're doing is temps and standard or, you know, regular traditional impressions, you don't have CBCT and you don't, there's, you don't have a scanner, then, you know, you are going to be stuck right. at 600 grand for your career. Well, we all, we all get stuck to our own detriment. The success and failure for all of us isn't getting stuck. You know, no dentist intentionally says, you know, um, I, I need a scanner because my, you know, the, they just get stuck. They say, my patients like seeing me. Right. No, my patients don't mind. Or having- my process isn't broke. Why fix it? Well, they don't know because everything's micro changes. You know, it's the, it's the book, Who Moved My Cheese? You keep doing the same thing over and over and over again for years and years and years. And all of a sudden, suddenly it doesn't work anymore. The funny thing, you're talking about growth versus defensive. And there's really only two. Like, there's no real such thing as like, I'm just going to coast even. You know, I'm good. I'm just going to like coast along because you really, you're either, you're either growing or dying. Um, but, you know, so you have mm-hmm. to pick one. And, and so I think everyone needs to kind of be in growth mode, whether that's, you know, a micro, micro growth or just focusing on something very real granular or, or not. But you have to stay in growth mode no matter who you are or else you're just, you, you're dead. Peter, I think, it, I think it bears something. Sorry, Trevor. I think it bears just talking just as a bookend on that comment, Peter, is growth mode. We all get stuck in the, the trap of gross profit. Everybody loves to um, talk about gross profit. So growth could be trimming your gross and increasing your net. Or even learning a new skill set or even like growth uh, any capacity, like training your team higher or bringing on a little piece of something, right? Learning a little bit of marketing or trying this, but staying committed to the process of growing, whether it's another dollar a year, I don't give a crap what it is, but like being aware that you have to grow because if you don't grow, you're going to contract just by just organically. I'm going to, I'm going to land this with my favorite saying from Jack. Nice land it. Go if the rate of change on the outside exceeds the rate of change on the inside, the end is near. That's exactly what I'm saying. That exactly. It's exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. That, that does, that does put a nice, um, okay. And that's so happening, especially with, with di- digital disruption and sure. corporate disruption and consumer disruption, the Amazons and the Ubers, there's all this disruption. So the rate of change back to your quote, Trevor is happening exceedingly fast. So is it even possible for the single practitioner? If they don't get their hooks into some sort of group, I don't, I don't know. There's going to be okay. a few. There's going to be a few that make it standalone, but I think that they're going to have to act together in some way. You know, we had Brian. Do you know Brian Kaleo of Dykema? He's a law group that does um, a lot of DSO formations, yeah. and he was he was very. Uh, he didn't mix his words with about the the solo practitioner. Um, isn't that right, Craig? That night. Or I had, or I had too many beers to remember. Are you going uh, there? I'm speaking there in July. Are you, are you going there? No, we were at. I, neither one. We have conflicts with that, um, with that, with that course. We were going to go, but um, both of us have conflict. It, it's, it, it came up so quickly on, on the. It's in July, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but, just talked to us about it like a, like a week or two ago. Um, 
but anyway, basically, Craig, and help me out here because you know my memory is like. Um, yeah, the problem is, as I said to Kaleo, Kaleo said, you know, the gro- the era of the solo practice is over, and the problem with this is that it's true, and I don't, I do believe that it's going to be. Uh, listen, you, you could be Michael Appa, uh, and Michael Appa's not even solo, by the way, but you could mm-hmm. be this iconic celebrity style dentist that Kevin Sands out in L.A. or you, we know tons of them, and you're going to be fine. But for the average yeah. dentist, it's going to be increasingly hard to compete and it's going to be increasingly hard to stay viable. The issue is right. that since my first subscription to Dentaltown, which is probably in whenever Dentaltown came out in 1996, or 1996, there was a thread that was the most popular thread, the era of the solo practice is over. So uh-huh. literally for 20 years, we've been talking about this impending doom and not too much has shifted. Yeah, that's cool. Dentist. So the issue is, is that everything happens slowly until it's sudden. You know, you don't just drop dead from a heart attack. Typically, you have a confluence of factors like high blood pressure, blah 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 blah, and then ultimately, you know, you, you drop dead from it. Or so, well, it's the tipping well, point, right? Correct. Yeah. So it's the tipping point, and exactly. we've reached it though. The tipping point is what Gladwell says: it's seventeen or eighteen percent. Right. Malcolm Gladwell's tipping point: yeah, seventeen or eighteen percent of what? 21 or 22% now of, of docs are in group practices. I think, I okay. think past that tipping point. Really, so, 21% are either in groups or DSOs? Yes. I didn't realize that. I thought it was 11%. I'll send you some data. Holy smokes, that's super cool. No, that's the fragmentation. Is It's the, the um, Craig, so you're, you're comparing two different, 11% is the, is the, is the fragmentation amount of, of dental practices, meaning? No, that's the consolidation amount specifically. 11% oh. is consolidated. Okay. So what does that mean, Trevor? Consolidated versus affiliated with group practice of some sort. 11% of practices are consolidated. I know that number to be true, especially in the last six months. Well, that's your number. I don't know what Yeah, that is true. That's what I was about to say. All right, well, regardless, it's, it's on the rise. Um, so Trevor, that being said, like, how does one know, I'm going to, I'm going to take a hard right turn into something that you may have some data on as well. Let's say I am the solo practitioner. Let's say I've, I've heard this podcast. Let's say I know what's coming. How do I know when is the right time? What is my strategy? Obviously I can affiliate with, with a group like yours or, or, or sell. That's an option. Or if I'm in growth mode and I think I've got the chops to kind of compete I'll, and I'm ready to bring on another person. When is it the right time to bring on a partner, an associate, grow, like help, help, help us out? Sure. So again, it's going to come down in the end, the final decision comes down to the individual. So there's no straight mm-hmm. formula that your production mm-hmm. is X and then you bring on an associate. Otherwise someone would just post that online and everybody would do it. Right. right. Um, there's the abundance mentality, right? Mm-hmm. So that you want to share your patient base, bring in that associate, have them build, build out and then, so you split off and you start going down to three days, two days, one day, and then get right out of the practice. If that's your, if that's your plan. Um, or it's scarcity, right? You keep your patients and then docs will bring out a bunch of PPOs to fill up time for that associate. But I, I'm not a fan of that because I think that's creating two separate different practices within, within a practice within yeah. a practice. And, and I'm not sure that that's going to be the best thing for that associate long-term or a class system almost, you know? The, yeah, it does. But the right time, it's almost like when you have kids, the right time to have kids when you have the energy, yeah. right? There's no age that's right. It's just when yeah. you can. And so the right time to bring on an associate, you know, we think is when you're, you're going to have to invest some energy, right? Some time, money, and energy in that. And when you have that, that's the right time. 
because you won't always feel that way. So how do you attract them though? In the, in the, in the context of all we've just been talking about, right? Like how is one attracted to, to a come into my private practice, even though I don't have the scale and the energy and all this stuff like the corporate guys or this group, how, how, how does, what, sure. what is the best chance to, to onboard a quality associate? So just last week, just last week, I'm up in Michigan and met with a, a doc for breakfast through a mutual friend who had gone the corporate route and literally just went hung a shingle cold. Didn't even buy a practice. Like was just so absolutely frustrated with being an employee mm-hmm. and being treated as employee because she was an employee mm-hmm. uh, that just said it, nothing can be worse, worse than this. So her experience wasn't great. Some experiences are awesome, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think there's a, like I've said before, I think that there's a space for corporate dentistry and there's a space for private practice, independent dentistry. They, I think they serve different patient bases. Mm-hmm. Um, but she had just had enough. So where are you going to find these people? I think you're going to find people that have come out of dental school and, you know, Craig and Peter are not going to probably hire uh, a new grad that's slow, right? They're, they're, they have no experience. And they're going to produce what 80 grand the first year, maybe. And so you're going to, you're going to bring, in <laughs> no, not 80 grand the first year. <laughs> Come on. They're going to have some skills, right? And they're going to, they're going to understand that they want to work hard to get a part of the practice. I think it's, I think it's very special. It's limited and finite. The number of people you're going to get right out of school that are going to be great for private practice. Yep. I agree. I mean, honestly, I can remember, I remember being so insulted when, when my first job, she, she looked at me and she said, I can't hire you. You're right out of school. I was like, what does that mean? I got this new degree. Like, look, look at my new degree. It says I can. And she was like, no, no, I get it. But you're borderline dangerous. And I was like, Ugh. so I, I, I agree with you. It's, it's tough to hire right out of school because not that schools don't prepare us, but you just need some, you need some laps. You need some, just, just you need some at bats. Just for the sake of the conversation, are you saying GPR as well or just fresh out of school, no GPR? Mm, good question. No GPR, no group? group no, no, no. He's no, saying... No, I'm talking to you, Peter. Like, oh, oh. Um, straight out of a GPR? Yes, absolutely. I will. A two-year GPR? You, uh, yes. Okay. It changes the game because I think, I think that's the, the, the tipping point where you get, you get some laps, you get some at-bats, you get a lot of exposure to dentistry. You're, you're not just in these... You're not academic anymore so much. You're literally treating lots of patients all day long and you're in that environment. So, I, yes, uh, I would hire someone as a GPR for sure out of a GPR. So as a, you know, complete counterpoint, here's the rarity of it. So I'm up at Dr. Fred Sleets in, in Michigan recently, and he had, he had an associate come in um, pretty fresh and it worked out perfect. He had, mm-hmm. he had the right amount of patients. He's a teacher by nature and it's been just fantastic. And he's down to his two days a week and he's golfing more and he's got a great practice. And he's basically, he's basically molded this associate now mm-hmm. a partner into his practice. He didn't create a separate class society in his practice or do a bunch of crazy things with his patient base. He took the time and invested in this person, but what a risk, right? You do that for four or five years as a private practice dentist and then they bail. Yeah. Now what? It's heartbreaking, right? Because you've got all this time at mentoring, curing, you know, curating them to kind of take over. Yeah. I'm sure it would be heartbreaking. So, but there, there really is no guarantee. That's why you almost have to start 
with like I have a, a dentist, a local dentist friend of mine who he struggles with the associateship model a lot. And I said, look, you don't frame it as like they're coming on just to be your like hired gun and just work. Like it, it has to be, in my opinion, it has to be someone who could be a future partner of yours, whether that's, that's a minority partner or whatnot. But you have to be, that's the mentality. You want that ownership mentality. Otherwise, it's going to be someone transient, in my opinion. Hired yeah, I mean, and you'll flesh out a lot of people. The owners want ownership. And people that are planning on parking themselves for a year, two, or three don't. So it's actually a really good tool to flesh things out. I always say that people don't wash rental cars. Same thing. All the doctors I'm bringing on now at a big, at a big transition in my own practice. That's perfect. Yeah. That is a good one. That's one of your best, buddy, I have to say. I don't know if it's mine, but I'll take it. What does that mean, Craig? I'm sorry? They also don't wash their parents' cars. What does that mean? My kids take my cars. They don't wash them. That's another thing. Entitlement. Entitlement. I was just about to say it. I'm in, the, I'm in the hunt right now for associate docs. The first thing I say is I expect you to show up acting as an owner and ultimately I need you to be an owner. Meaning like if you want to show up and just kind of park yourself and don't have interest in being an owner, that actually speaks to me as well. You know, I, I don't, I would want someone that wants that. But it saves you a lot of time. It's almost like dating. When you're dating with someone, you're like, hey, I want three kids. And someone's like, well, I only, I want zero. Be like, all right, well, this is not going to work. So let's not have date number two. Right, like, there's just no point of this. Yeah, so no I think it's good. No I think it's great to just like step in front of all this stuff, as opposed to, oh, great, I found a great warm body that wants to come in and see my patients. Like, but you're not beginning with the end in mind. Going back to that, so it doesn't. I think that's why a lot of them fail, and I think that's why associateships have a bad reputation in in the industry and in corporate has taken advantage of that. Like, oh, just come on and onboard with us, and we'll provide all these economies of scales and. For sure. So, well, rela- relationships have a bad, um, all relationships have bad public opinion. Who would get married with a divorce rate at 64%? All three of us did it. I mean, I'm presuming, Trevor, you're married? Yes. Okay, so we all jumped into marriage. 64% chance. See the sign in the corner? It says, we interrupt this marriage to bring you hockey season. It does. It says it right up there. Right see, up there. It's, it's like hockey in Georgia. There, see, there it is again. It popped up Sorry. twice in this conversation, Trevor. I'm fanatic. Twice. I didn't see that. You can't see that in the corner? No. I my finger. Right oh, there. my computer must be more high oh, depth. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah, the sign that not popped up, but yeah. See, only, Craig, that's my self-awareness. That's my awareness. My situational awareness is just oh, much greater than yours, I guess. So defense, I only put that under the TV in the playoffs. That's not the whole season. Oh, okay. Only, <laughs> Thank you. But, but it's just like, look, who would get married? Who would have children? Who would enter into any business relationship if we paid attention to the statistics. I mean, most businesses are likely to fail, you know, statistically speaking. Uh, most relationships are likely to fail and most associate types and partnerships are likely to fail. So you either have two views of the world. It's like, why would I do that? Dr. Jones once did that. It wound up terrible. Or you keep persevering. One thing that I know is, Pete, you and I have had bad associateships. We've had bad relationships with other people. But what defines a successful person is their willingness to jump right back in and try it and take what mm-hmm. they've learned and apply it into something new. You both reminded me of a discussion I had about two years ago with the doc. And I've had this now that I think about it more than once, but this one resonates is they're talking about this associate and you know what they were going to do and when it was going to break the partner. And I said, well, what did you guys talk about when they started? Well, nothing. Mm-hmm. But I think they want to do it. Well, have you talked to them in the two years they've been working for you? No, not about this. How, how do you not have the discussion? Yeah. Right. I, but I, I think that's all too common. Like literally that would be, 
I think that's all too common. And so I'm glad that actually you're talking about this because I, I think it's something that people either assumed or whatever, but Craig, you, you know, you guys both bring up good points that like, if you're into, if you're going to hire an associate, obviously do some soul searching, find the right time. Um, you know, look at your data. The second question is once you do in the interview process, you know, ask these hard questions that may repel someone, but they also may attract someone yeah. at the same time. Then you know what the other thing, the third part to that is ask them again later on. <laughs> because I had well, a situation changed that said to me, all I really want is I want to work three days a week. He was a specialist. I want to work three days a week, but I want you to guarantee me that I always make three hundred and seventy-five or three hundred fifty thousand dollars. And actually, I made the numbers work. So I said, okay, you make three hundred fifty three hundred fifty thousand dollars on three days a week. Plus, if you hit these targets, you'll get more. And I'm like, well, what are you going to do with the other two days? Well, I'm just really not that type of guy. I'm really about work-life balance and blah, 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 blah. And I just really want to just do my own thing and canoe on Fridays and, you know, meditate on Thursdays. And a lovely guy, a really good friend of mine. But what changed? I didn't ask him again three years later. So three years or four years later, actually it was three, almost four years later, he just blindsides me one day and says, oh, by the way, I'm going to go work with this other dude six days a week and own a part of the practice. I'm like, bro, you, I would have loved you to have been, remember the first two years I was begging you to work five and six days, five days a week. You told me you want a canoe. So, so the, the, the moral of the story is you can't set it and forget it. People change, mm -hmm. have a couple extra kids, you know, maybe your wife or your husband gets in your ear, who knows what happens. But even if the conversation is done three years later, you want to check back in. Hey, are you still interested? Do you want to pursue another level? Are you making the money you want to? You know, my goals were always, I wanted him to make more because my last specialist that took his place was making like double what he was. So I was like, bro, you don't want me Yeah, oh, it's some work-life balance, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, I'm not here to insist my values on you, but his values changed. And I said to him, I'm like, well, bro, what, why don't we talk about this? And he's like, geez, I wish I would have talked to you about this sooner because <laughs> I- But I've already pulled trigger and signed another contract. Trigger. I'm like, oh. <laughs> Whoa, man, are you joking? How long you know this other person? You know, a little, you know, six months. I'm like, we've known each other a long time. We met online. Yeah, we met online. I mean, fortunately for him, I'm happy that he's, it's working out well. He's, he's well. <laughs> but he went from three days a week to six days a week. And all that changed was time. So I think- Oh, these are good. This is, this is all good. I, but, but it's true. It's, it's, you can't just set and forget it. Like you're, you're what, even in your own personal relationship, you know, your wife it used to be that, you know, she just really valued time. <clears throat> Trevor, it's hard to hear. It's hard down here in the trenches, just so you know, buddy. It's hard it's, down here. It is, bro. Grinding it out, eh? It's every day is a grind. No pun intended. Every day is a grind. Until um, you start a podcast and then life is rosy. Hey, I'll oh, tell yeah. you what. Hey, if I, if I had known how much money podcasting makes, I would have started this a long time ago. It's a big fat zero. <laughs> No, it's not, it's not zero. It's negative. Negative zero. Yeah, that's right. It's a negative until you start a podcast. Trevor asked me before, like we started Craig, he's like, so why are you, why, you know, again, that's why are you doing this? The same like, thing with the book, Peter, the first yeah. line out of our, you know, we had our publisher. Why do you want to uh, write a book? And we're like, well, to give back. Why not? Like, uh, well, that's, we've never Craig, really had someone that's not something with a book. That's because he knew the cost of putting the book out and the cost that you'd be able to sell it for and didn't tell us that like, Oh, by the way, you're going to lose money every, every time you sell a book. <laughs> I know. No one told me that. No one told us that. Oh, man. Dude, anyway. You know it's going to be like $30,000. Oh, no. We had no idea. No. We'll sell something. I'll sell Slinkies. 
<laughs> you need a big sponsor, and then you can speak, and then you can autograph the copies. Slinkies with a sharpie. Any, anything. Buy a book and get a gold, a rose gold slinky. Something. I had no idea it was going to be this much money. Now, of oh. course, we're, we want to emboss the cover for an extra couple thousand dollars. I, I never knew. I mean, that. you've got to do that. Cover the little raises. Yeah. Oh yeah. oh yeah. Well, it's a bulletproof dental practice, so we have to have bullet holes, and it's resisting bullets, and the bullets have to be embossed. I mean. There's yeah. only one way to do it. And they say, hey, entry-level books, entry books do this, but like all the great authors, they do this. And so like, what are you going to say? You know, <laughs> like we're sure as shit, not great authors. So, you know. Attention all cone beam sellers. Please go to their practices tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. I mentioned Bulletproof, and then you buy it. Yeah, Bulletproof. You need, you need this. Oh, the slapstick is just fun. I, for, I always yeah. forget that we are still recording. Trevor, thanks for coming on the podcast, buddy. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed catching up with you. Uh, and uh, we should do it. We should do it live in person since we live in the same city and, uh, and catch up, bud. Some, some good food with you. Do I get to plug our website? Of course. Do I Go. Smilesource.com. Or join smilesource.com. Happy to talk to you. Awesome. Nice. See nice. you guys. All right, buddy. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts about this episode. Please rate and review us on iTunes or your favorite podcast source. Check out BulletproofDentalPractice.com for video interviews and text BULLETPROOF to 345-345 to stay connected to us for special announcements. Have a great day.